0: Father, that's our prayer. In a world ravaged by this pandemic, in a nation on edge, oh, that we might find this rest in Jesus. Let the the moments we now share be clear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin to see a side of America we never dreamed possible. Consider blue laws. Let's cut to the chase. Let's put Wikipedia on the screen for us, please. Blue laws. Blue laws, also known as Sunday laws, are laws designed to restrict or ban some or all Sunday activities for religious or secular reasons, particularly to promote the observance of a day of worship or rest. Blue laws may also restrict shopping or ban sale of certain items on specific days, most often on Sundays in the Western world. Blue laws are enforced in parts of the United States and Canada, as well as some European countries, particularly in Austria, Germany, Switzerland, and Norway, keeping most stores closed on Sundays. Speaking of America, I realize that we're in the thick of a season of political campaigning. And I know these three words have been batted about back and forth, law and order, law and order, law and order. Who, well, who wouldn't want law and order? I suppose it depends on how you define it. Why do I bring it up today? Because the day could come in America that in order to establish law, in order to, de- to deal with its ills, America will choose to resort to these old, kind of sleepy blue laws, Sunday laws, on many of the state's books. And so, believing that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of what? Of cure? in advance of anything, I want to share with you why I don't believe in Sunday Blue Laws. Let's go to the beginning. In the beginning. December 24th. Christmas Eve, 1968. The three astronauts there inside that tiny little Apollo 8 capsule are huddled around that portal, and they're looking down on our terrestrial blue-green ball, and the three of them take turns reading the first ten verses of the Book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. I want to go to that. We're not going to read the ten verses. I'll just settle for two. Go to the beginning of your Bible, the Book of Genesis, Chapter 1. They read from the King James. They read, by the way, to the largest television audience in history up until that moment. So the whole world is tuned in. As these astronauts read these words, we'll read just verses 1 and 2. Genesis 1-1, I'm in the New International Version. In the beginning... and Those are arguably the most well-known words of the Bible all over the planet. You can be an atheist to know about in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What follows is the account of Earth's creation by the Creator in six days. Evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning. Six 24-hour days. The week culminates with the addition of a seventh day. I want you to drop down, please, to chapter 2. Chapter 2, and here comes that last day of the week. Thus, this is verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done." God says, I have a gift for you, human race. I just made you on day number six. I have a gift for you. I'm going to give myself to you in the gift of the Sabbath, every seventh day, for the rest of time, in perpetuity. As long as there is life on this planet, there will be a seventh day, and every seventh day will remind you that you are mine and I am yours. I give myself to you in the gift of this day. Wow, that's pretty cool. George McGreedy Price, the philosopher, the scientist, and the Bible scholar, in that provocative book of his, The Time of the End, you got to see this. A little, uh, a little twist here I had never thought of before, and I predict a bunch of you haven't either. So this is George McGready Price, from the beginning, the Creator planned to have a memorial of his method, of his me- excuse me, of his- and the italics are his, of his method of creating. I thought that the Sabbath was, a mo- Sabbath was to be a memorial of the fact that he created. No, 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 no. McGready Price is saying, no, it's the method, too. It would be for the good and lasting happiness of mankind, for them to remember, his creatorship, his power, his sovereignty. He could have accomplished... This is true, isn't it? He could have accomplished the making of the Earth and its plants and animals in one day. Couldn't he have done it in one day? Why he goes on, or even instantaneously. Yo, let's have planet Earth. Fully populated. He could have done it. He didn't. He chose to do, a, do it a certain way, but he did not. No, 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 no. Keep reading now. He might have prolonged this creative act for 10 days or 30, but he did not. He deliberately planned to do it by stages spread out over six days with a special extra day at the close as an official memorial of what he had done and how he had done it. My, 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 my. There's something about the method. I never thought about that before. The fact, okay, the Sabbath is, yo, I I came from a Creator. Yeah, but not just the fact of creation, the method of creation. I did it in stages so that I could have a seventh stage, and that'll be just you and me together. Oh, my, can you believe the gift of the Sabbath? The, uh, the brilliant uh, Jewish scholar, Abraham Heschel, he referred to the Sabbath as a palace in time. For the rest of time, the Creator, every seventh day, communing with His creation, drawing close to these who are created in His own image, He feels a special affinity to you right now because you're in His image. You're not a strange creation to Him. He feels a closeness to you. The Sabbath, every seventh day, to remind us, my, oh, my, oh, my. No wonder the Sabbath is both the geometric center of the Ten Commandments, in Hebrew, the, the, the number of words on either side is the same. So it's in the geometric center, and it's also the thematic and, and literary center. Come on, let's go to Exodus 20. Let's go to the Ten Commandments. Everybody loves the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows the story about the Ten Commandments. Hey, did you grow up watching the Prince of Egypt? Come on, tell me the truth. Did you grow up watching the Prince of Egypt? Yes, you did. If you did not grow up watching the Prince of Egypt, then you're older and you watch Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. But they did it a lot better with the animation. Oh, I love the story. Was it Moses, wasn't it? The Prince of Egypt. Moses. Out in that burning bush. What a story. And when you get to the Ten Commandments, you remember seeing that hand of God? As God, with his own finger, writes the Ten Commandments, carves them into into, uh, granite. Oh, I love the story. In fact, the Sabbath actually is couched in two stories. My friend Sigby Tonstad, in his book, The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day, has helped me to see this. First, let me quote Tonstad, and then uh, we'll take a look at those stories. Let's put Tonstad on the screen here. He's a physician. He's a New Testament scholar and, and a writer. The seventh day is not willing if the Sabbath had a mind of its own. The seventh day is not willing to be estranged from its narratival roots. That's just theological speak for, for the, from the stories that provide its foundation. Keep going. The story of God's faithfulness that is etched in the seventh day. Oh, I love this. Envisions a chain reaction of blessing, forging the Sabbath into a conduit of grace to all creation. What he's telling us is you got to know the stories. You got to know the stories. Once you know the stories, then the Sabbath, embedded in those two stories, it, 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 it shines with more glory. Okay, so we got to find the story. So did you get to Exodus 20? Here I'm talking. I haven't even gotten to Exodus 20 yet. Let's go to the beginning of the commandments. Exodus 20. Okay, I got it. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words. Okay, so we know God is going to first speak the commandments, then shoo, 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 he's going to write them with his finger. Verse 2. Whoa, before he even begins the Ten Commandments, he tells a story. Look at this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Who doesn't love the Exodus story? Is there anybody here that doesn't love the Exodus story? And even in the Prince of Egypt, I love it, once they get out, they get out at midnight, and they, come, they run into the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Shoo, that wind and the walls towering. I love that part every single time, don't you? That's the story of the Exodus. What's the Exodus? It's when God saved a nation of slaves. He liberated them. He delivered them. He redeemed them. He saved them. Before he says a word about, hey, would you do this for happiness and would you do this for happiness and would you do that, he says, I want to tell you a story. Don't you ever forget. And by the way, it's the greatest story of liberation in human literature, except for Calvary. And it was intended to be the story of Calvary. That's the whole point deliverance, set free. No more evil taskmasters. Yep. So he tells the story. And then he tells the Ten Commandments. He he speaks the Ten Commandments. And then in the Fourth Commandment, he tells one more story. It's the only other story. So I got to get back to Exodus 20 and drop down to the Fourth Commandment. That will be uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Why? For uh, Verse 11, for in six days... Here comes the story now. I'm going to tell you a story. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy... Once upon a time, before you were born, I made your parents. They were the first two on this planet, and I've been friends with the human race ever since. No matter how you treat me, you are in my image, and I long for a friendship with you, too." Every seventh day, that's what Tonstadt is telling us. Every seventh day, two stories, Exodus. That goes back to creation. Two great narratival bookends for the entire human race. The Seventh-day Sabbath. I want to get Tonstad one more time. Let's put him on the screen here. The person who experiences God's faithfulness in the rest. You're resting. Come on. That's the joy of the Sabbath. You get to rest in the rest of the Sabbath. Is to extend the privilege To son and daughter, to male and female slave, to the resident alien, even to the cows, the cattle, triggering, I love this, triggering an avalanche of blessing that is to make all creation beneficiaries of the Sabbath. Guess what? When we celebrate the Sabbath, this is what Tonstadt is saying, when God gave us the Sabbath and we celebrate it, the blessing is not just for me, 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 me. No, it just, it just kind of, it's this chain reaction of blessing. It spreads even to animal life. Man, this must be a big deal. This day must be a big deal to God and to his friends. It's no wonder Jesus one day decided to give himself a title. I want you to see this title. Now, let's go to the book of Mark now, that little dramatic gospel, Mark, Chapter 2. Mark, Chapter 2. Let's... Drop down to the last two lines of Mark 2. So Jesus is talking, talking to his friends. He's got his disciples. They're all around him. And by the way, it's on the Sabbath when he's doing this. So they're all around him, and he's loving on them. And he says, hey, guys and ladies, I want to tell you something. This is verse 27 of Mark 2. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for what? For man. Mm-hmm. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He just gave himself a title. And by the way, there's some Christians, there's some Christians, I'm telling you. Can, hey, can you leave that verse up for, for a minute uh, on the screen, that last, that uh, the, uh, verse 27? Yeah, thank you. Watch this. There's some Christians who, who read it this way. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The Sabbath was made for Jews and not Jews for the Sabbath. Are you serious? The Sabbath was made for Jews? Oh, man, that's bad news for me. You know why? Because Genesis 2 says woman was made for man. And if woman was made for only Jews, I'm in big trouble. Right? No, this is humanity. (laughs) This is the human race. The Sabbath was made for the human race, not the human race for the Sabbath. (laughs) In fact, you know what? Jesus says, and so the Son of Man... Let's put that next text up, please, 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the same word. Now, you say, Dwight, what does this word mean? What is the actual language? Glad you asked. William Skip McCarty. He wrote in a book titled Perspectives on the Sabbath, Four Views, in his opening extended essay. I wish you could read it. It's just a dynamite essay on the Sabbath. Uh, Let's put uh, William Skip McCarty. When Mark recorded Jesus' words, the Sabbath was made for man, he chose Greek terms that would communicate the universal and permanent character of the Sabbath. Keep reading. The Greek term anthropos, okay? Anthropos. What is that? Hey, anthropology. Come on, we got an anthropology department here. What is anthropology? The study of humanity. It's not the study of males. Right? It's the study of the human race. Anthropology. The Greek term anthropos. The Sabbath was made for anthropos is the generic term for humankind. Numerous scholars have understood Mark two twenty seven as Jesus' affirmation of the creation origin and universal character of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, "I have a title now. You can call me this. I'm Lord of the Sabbath." Wow. He was Lord of the salvation. I knew that, but now I can call him Lord of the Sabbath. He says, "That's my title." I'm Lord of this day. Let's read it again one more time. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I tell you what, I am against Sunday blue laws as a solution to law and order simply because Jesus is Lord of the seventh-day Sabbath. That's why. Let me show you another text. Go to the very end of the end of the uh, Bible, the Book of Revelation. That's our theme book here for American Apocalypse this series. And oh boy, don't miss next time. Revelation chapter one. Go to Revelation chapter one, verse ten. Because we know that John is, is, has been incarcerated for his faith. He's a follower of Christ, and they put him on this penal colony, this little rocky outcropping in the Aegean Sea. He can't swim anywhere. He's he's there. Verse ten. Revelation 1, verse 10. And on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Aha, Dwight, I told you. That's all I was waiting for that text, because there it is. That is proof that Sunday is in the Bible. There it is. Look at it. Dwight, do, do you have eyes? The Lord's day. Are you serious? Are you, are, are you joshing me? Are you telling me that that one little phrase tucked in at the end of the Bible somehow erases the Creator's chiseled finger scribbling in granite that wipes away the Creator's gift of the Seventh-day Sabbath to the human race? Are you, are you jumping to that conclusion? Man, don't, you, don't, don't try getting your exercise by jumping to conclusions. It'll kill you every time. Be honest with me. What are you saying about this little Lord's Day, that everything gets obliterated, all of God's outpouring? Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, is just gone now? What do you mean that has, that has reference to Sunday? <laughs> What's the day Jesus is Lord of? You tell me. What do we just read in the fourth commandment? The Sabbath of the Lord your God. Didn't we read that? Yeah, that's the Lord's Day. You want the Lord's Day? That's it. Jesus said, I'm Lord of that day. Look at Isaiah. Let's put Isaiah chapter 58 on the screen here. If God's speaking, if you call the Sabbath, and he's talking about the Seventh-day Sabbath, because that's the only Sabbath the Bible knows. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, what's going on here? I have a day. I've given you six days for you. I have a day that I am Lord of. The Lord's Day is the seventh day Sabbath. Skip again. William McCarty, on the screen. Biblical evidence that the Lord's Day meant Sunday is entirely lacking as does the rest of the New Testament. John, in his own gospel, twice refers to Sunday as the first day of the week, not the Lord's Day. He could have said, because it was written 40, 50 years after the resurrection, he could have said, listen, when Jesus rose on the Lord's Day, because you all know that's the Lord's Day, right? He could have put that in. He did it, because nobody had ever heard of a Lord's Day as the day for Sunday. The only way John refers to, to Sunday is it's the first day. The only day in the Bible that has a name, a proper name, It's the Sabbath. When they did call the day before the Sabbath the preparation day to get ready for the Sabbath. That's all the way through the Bible. So the Lord's Day is clearly and biblically. Well, let's finish the quotation. The historical records reveal that the first unambiguous connection between Lord's Day and Sunday does not show up in Christian literature until the second half of the second century. Whoa. Many decades after John used the term. Therefore, it is clear that those who interpret the Lord's Day in Revelation 1-10 as Sunday do this on the basis of extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. You have to go outside the Bible. That is much later than the time when John wrote Revelation." Keep reading. This is an unsound methodology of biblical interpretation, end quote, and I agree. Clearly, the Lord's Day is the only holy day, the only Sabbath, which is the seventh day. The Lord's Day; it's the day that Jesus is Lord of. To go two and a, to go go a century and a half later into history and grab the uh, the way the Lord's Day is used then and bring drag it all the way back into New Testament times and say this is what it means. You can't that you can't do that. No scholar would do that. You can't do that. It's found nowhere but this one place where John says, "On the Sabbath, I was in meditation and prayer when Jesus showed up to me." The Lord of the Sabbath shows up on the Sabbath day to John. Take that one. What's the deal, Dwight? Here's the deal. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, when he dies, watch this, when he dies, what's the day he died on? Friday, good Friday. What's the day he rose on? Sunday. What does he do on this day? This is the seventh day. This is the Sabbath. What does the creator of the universe and the creator of the human race and the planet called Earth, what does he do on the day he gave as a day of rest? He rests. I rest my case. He rests. He could have risen on Saturday. Why not? No. I gave this to you to be our day together. He rests. He sleeps. Wow. I repeat, if you're wanting law and order as a solution to America's ills, I'd suggest you go to God's law on a seventh day Sabbath. And by the way, let me quickly add, I am against any civil law that attempts to define and legislate religious practice, the religious practice of worship. No law should tell us anything about worship. It is not the domain of government. It is the domain of the kingdom of God, and only that domain. Yeah. There's only one holy day. There's only one Lord's Day, and it's the seventh day, Sabbath day. Well, how do we get into this confusing mess, Dwight? Come on. Tell me. Okay. Go to the Book of Daniel. Come on, there's one line. The Protestant Reformers, Martin Luther, John Knox among them, they went to the Book of Daniel, and they found this one line, and they said, aha. Go back to the Old Testament. I want you to see this in your own Bible. Come on. Daniel. Daniel's a little bit hard to find. You'll run into Ezekiel real fast, right after Ezekiel is Daniel. So go to Daniel chapter seven. Because Daniel, Daniel has just been shown four animal kingdoms. <laughs> their representatives, their symbols, like the eagle is a symbol of the United States. They are symbols of empires. There's the Babylonian Empire, there's a Medo-Persian Empire, there's the Greek Greece. Empire, and then there's the Roman Empire, and when we pick it up, Daniel has just seen this nondescript beast with ten horns and iron fangs roaring out of the water, and Daniel is so stunned. I want you to see this. Verse 8. Daniel 7. Drop down to verse 8. All right? While I was thinking about the horns, there were ten horns on this beast. While I was there thinking about those horns, there before me was another horn. Now, keep reading, keep reading. A little horn which came up among them, and three of the first horns were pop, 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 uprooted before this little horn. Uh, by the way, let me tell you about this little horn. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. When the Apocalypse describes this same power, it, 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 it records it this way, with a mouth that spoke blasphemies. You can only speak blasphemies to God. This is a religious power. And because it's symbolized by a horn, it's also a political, because the horn in the Bible is a sign of political strength. So it's a religio-political power. The Reformers were clear. You know why they're clear? Because of verse 25. This is what convinced them. When they saw this, they said, we know who that horn is. Drop down to verse 25. Speaking of this little horn, he will speak against the Most High, so he is anti-God. Anti-God. We'll talk about antichrist. Anti means instead of or against. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the Most High's holy people, the saints, and he will try to change the set times and the laws, and the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years in Hebrew language. Three and a half years, that's prophetic time. That's 1,260 days. That's the long, the Reformers are absolutely clear, that is the long, dark, bloody Middle Ages of Christian history, the Dark and Middle Ages, which were ruled by one power also in Rome, the Antichrist. And did you notice what the power wants to do? The power wants to change set times and holy laws. Did the power do what the Reformers believed it did? Well, let's ask, let's ask the power. In all deference and courtesy, have you changed anything in Christianity since you came to power? Rome answers now. The answers will be on the screen. These are, the, these are her answers. I have changed the Ten Commandments, and I have changed the Sabbath. Ooh, set times, holy law. Let's see. Let's go to Rome. The Convert's Catechism. This is an instruction book for those who join the Roman Catholic Church. It's in a little Q&A form. Question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday, then, instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. That's pretty clear. But the, the, the beloved Cardinal James Gibbon, in his bestseller book, Faith of Our Fathers, he was an American cardinal, It's just as clear. We'll put uh, Cardinal Gibbon on the screen. You may read the Bible, the cardinal writes, from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Whoa, what's going on here? Let's go to the Catholic Encyclopedia and ask it. Oh, the the Catholic Encyclopedia responds the church after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first made the third commandment refer to Wait a minute, wait a minute. Third commandment. We just read the fourth commandment. Oh. It's the third commandment for them because there was a commandment that was a bit bothersome. Commandment number 2 reads, you shall not make unto you any graven image. And this power said, let's remove that, please. So it got removed. Oops, we only have nine commandments now. Well, that's not a problem. Take the Tenth Commandment and cut it in two. And that's it now today. And that's why it's called the Third Commandment. No, we know it's the Fourth Commandment. Oh, but the law just got changed, didn't it? Yeah. Read it again. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Yeah, but Dwight, come on, come on, come on. If the Catholic Church claims to have changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, then why do most Protestant churches also worship on Sunday when they go by the Bible? Well, that's a very good question. The Catholic Church, in fact, asks that same question. Why do you? Notice this. Down here at Notre Dame, he was a priest and a professor. His name, John A. O'Brien. He he wrote the book The Faith of Millions. We'll put it on the screen right now. John A. O'Brien, the late John A. O'Brien. But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, Isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion He's talking about Protestants. Who, Who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church, he's talking about Rome, observe Sunday instead of Saturday. Why does that happen? Well, yes, of course, it is inconsistent he writes. But this change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born, and by that time, the custom was universally observed. Keep reading. They, the Protestants, have continued the custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text in the Bible. They are not following the Bible, the Catholic Church says. They're following us. Keep reading one more line. That observance remains O'Brien writes a reminder to the Protestants of the Mother Church, Rome, from which the non-Catholic sex broke away, like a boy running away from home, but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair." End quote. Mercy. That wasn't from me. That was from the Roman Catholic Church to every Protestant in America today. You have no reason to worship on Sunday except as you return to the Mother Church. Come on. You have, you have your mother's picture in your pocket, don't you, runaway? You got your mother's picture in your pocket. It's time to come home now. We need to do business together. Come on home. Isn't that amazing? You didn't hear that from me. So, you see? That is why I am against Sunday Blue Laws as a law and order solution in America, because I fear Blue Laws one day will attempt to legislate the wrong day, the first day, in place of the right day, the seventh day. And then I'm in a jam, because now the law says I have to do what I know is not in the Bible. Now, come on, twice. It's not gonna happen in America. We're free to worship on any day we want. Uh, hey, my friend, my friend, my friend, have you seen what's coming down the track straight at us? Anybody looking up? Anybody looking ahead? What's coming down the track straight at us? You can't be listening. You can't be watching. You can't be thinking if you don't see it. When I saw the President of the United States cross the road, filled with protesters outside the White House the other day, carrying, of all things in his hands, a Bible. And posing for pictures in front of a church across the street, it was a somber reminder to me of Revelation 13's prediction of what, sadly, will come true in this nation. And I saw it in the, in the flash of that camera snap. A politician taking over and saying, hey, I can do this, too. Wow. A prophecy about America we're going to examine very carefully next time together. Please don't miss it. The title, American Apocalypse, Is the Religious Right Wrong? Come on. Straight down the track. Straight down the track. It's no wonder God's last law and order appeal to the human race. I mean, how can you talk about law and order and reject the law of God? Give me a break. How can you talk about law and order and reject the law of God if you're a spiritual leader? God's last passionate appeal to the human race, he shouts out the truth about the Creator and his, his Sabbath. We'll end with this. Go to Revelation. Back to our theme book. Revelation chapter 14. Now, while you're finding chapter 14, I want the cameras to zoom in on this beautiful... We call, it the, we call this the rose window. This is a picture of the second coming. It, ha- it, it towers high above every act of worship in this space, and I'm glad the ancient pioneers made sure that this was the picture, a reminder of what it means to be an Adventist. A Seventh-day Adventist. Do you know where that picture comes from? Leave that picture up, please. I'm gonna read the words to you. We're not gonna put them on the screen. Drop down to verse 14 in Revelation 14, and I want to show you that the artist is taking Revelation 14 and designing the picture. I looked, John writes, and there before me was a white cloud. Let's see. Oh, we got the white cloud, don't we? There before me was a white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. That's Jesus' favorite title for himself. So there we see him. Yes, we do with a crown of gold on his head, we got that, and a sharp sickle in his hand, we got that. Now, Dwight, why are you doing this? Because I need you to know that Revelation 14, 14 is describing the second coming of Jesus and immediately preceding these words is God's passionate last appeal to the human race in the form of three angels who have messages for humanity. I want to go to the first angel for our last reading. Go up to verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel. Let's put that on the screen, please. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, megalophone, with a megaphone, he cried out, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water." Now, I want you to I ISO a couple lines here. First of all, the angel announces the hour of God's judgment has come. You know what the angel is saying? The angel is saying, Listen, boy, listen, girl, you got a conscience. You have a voice that speaks in between your ears. And You hear that voice, and you recognize it immediately. It's the same voice I hear, by the way. My conscience hears the same voice. That voice has been telling you we're running out of time. We're running out of time. We're running out of time. Judgment is here. Listen to that voice. That's what the angel is saying. Listen to my voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit himself. I don't know what he's been telling you lately, but if you've been laughing it off, if you've been saying, hey, another time, I'll get to that. I don't have time to deal with this now. If you've been saying, manana, you can't say manana anymore. Today is the day. Whatever you've been playing with, whatever you're chained to, today is the day that you get set free. Dwight, it's not that easy. It is that easy. Of course there's a battle. There's an enemy that will fight to the last drop of blood for you not on your behalf, but to hold on to you. Behold, the hour of his judgment has come. We're in it. That's what the conscience is saying to me and it's saying to you. I want to isolate that last line now. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Do you know that this is a direct quotation from the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament? Same words in the New Testament And in the Greek Old Testament, from the Fourth Commandment, straight out of the Fourth Commandment, God says, I have one passionate appeal to the human race, and it's going to consist of the Fourth Commandment. And what's the Fourth Commandment about? I have a day. I have a day you've forgotten about. I have a day most of the world has ignored. I have a day. It's it's the gift of myself to you. You can no longer ignore it. Come to me now. Come now. We're running out of time. That's the day that Jesus is Lord of. It's the seventh day, Sabbath day. There's only one Sabbath in the Bible. The Lord's Day is the seventh day. That's the day that Jesus is calling the human race to. I am your creator. I know what academia has done. The American Academy has no time for creator anywhere. Never mind the Academy now. We don't have time. I am your creator. I made you, and I'm coming back, and I wish I were coming for you. Come to me now. Come to me now. That's it. That's it. You know what it all comes down to? It all comes down to authority. Whose authority will I accept? Whose authority has the right to command my allegiance? Whose authority calls for my obedience? Shall I obey my Creator who died for me, or shall I obey the antichrist power who could care less for me? Whom will I obey?" When Peter and the boys, the disciples, were hauled in before the authorities in Jerusalem, and they asked them to recant, Peter cried out to the judges, "'We ought to obey God rather than man.'" We ought to obey God rather than man. As we'll find out next time, blue laws, Sunday laws on steroids are headed this way. I'll tell you about a meeting that's taking place as we speak right now in Colorado. I'll tell you about it next time. They're pulling together. The coalition is building. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. And I'm in.